0: Really happy to have our guest, Grammy-winning musician, Grammy-winning producer, John McEwen. You may know him from his performances solo and with numerous amazing musicians. He's fantastic. You may know him from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. He toured with them for eh, a few decades.
1: 50 years.
0: 50 years. Yeah. 50 years. Thank you, John. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Boy, that sounds weird to say 50 years actually realized that i i lived that from the age of 20 years old it was a good time it was a good thing we made a lot of records
0: first off you have a grammy winning album that you produced with steve martin the crow new songs for the five-string banjo and you guys go way back five string and you recorded songs with willie nelson johnny Cash, June carter jerry garcia fish and so many others your memoir the life i've picked haha yeah it's your first book and then you have a second book that is will the circle be unbroken which has a lot of gorgeous photos
1: yes they do have a second book. oh there it is now <laughs> oh, look at that <laughs> yeah this is a my brother was the manager of the group he took pictures of the Circle Be Broken sessions and I wrote a story for each photo and it was really fun to do because he was an incredible photographer and a record producer and a manager and uh, his name's right there but I got uh, a lot of the early jerk band in here too leading up to the Circle Be Broken album. There's things that are uh, showing Various pictures of the band in clubs in L.A. and around. Like one of my favorite posters is is a picture in there. Wrestling tonight, and before the wrestling, we're going to have Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Alice Cooper, and Blue Cheer. <laughs> so Alice Cooper was an opening to the Dirt Band at one time, but that only lasted the one time. <laughs> that was 1967. Wow. Anyway, Amazing. and now here we are.
0: Yes, and you'll be at the music room in Cape Cod in Yarmouth March nineteenth, so folks can get tickets to that and go online on both on Facebook and find the Music Room Cape Cod and also via Google. I'm really digging your recent album, which is the Nashville Sessions. It features songs with you and Leon Russell and also Martha Redbone. So do you want to talk a little bit about this album?
1: But yeah, there's a song I did just me and Leon Russell. He was a lifelong friend. He came to see the Dirt Band when we were a drug band in 1966 is when we started. That's when Les Thompson, the guy that's playing with me, by the way, is uh, Les Thompson, plays the bass. And he was playing in the first Dirt Band. And he called me up and said, hey, you want to join the group that's coming together at the music store? That was a music store in Long Beach, California. And I knew the other guys, and yeah, sure. And that was a nitty gritty dirt band. And we started, and seven months later, we had a record on the radio. And I wondered, gee, why did it take so long? <laughs> I mean, we weren't we weren't any good really? But we knew 14 songs. We recorded 12 of them, and <laughs> had to learn a few more. But uh, the first record was a, a minor hit. It was uh, By for Me the Rain, and it got us a trip to Boston. I couldn't believe it. That was in, in April of 1960, uh, March 67, where we went to this club called Trudy Heller's Trick in Boston, and we played By for Me the Rain. We, you know, we played our set, which was like, a lot of drug band music, you know, things like Washi Chinat Valley Forge." George, George, Bododio, Bododio Doe. Praise the words, praise the tune, all that George McCrone's was Bododio, Bododio Doe. On his ukulele, now daily, he would jump, beetle and bump, dancing prancing, and prancing, then he'd holler. Red Hot Mama, that's where somebody in the audience would yell out, Red Hot Mama. We're doing songs like that. And then we start By For Me the Rain. And that's the one that they heard. That's, a, that's the one they'd heard on the radio. They'd just start, Buy For Me the Rain, my dog. And people got up and started dancing. And we'd never seen that before. We'd never seen people dance to our, us playing. Because out in L.A., where we were from, people were listening folk music and whatever. it was having. They were having fun, but they weren't dancing. It cracked us up.
0: Did you feel like you were, you know, in the zeitgeist? Did you feel like you were on the precipice of something? Did you feel like you were sort of leading the pack, at, you know, nothing, culturally? Or nothing
1: that intelligent, really. I was the oldest one by the time By for Me The Ring was ahead, I was 21, I became the road manager, because I was the only one old enough to rent a car. <laughs> and somebody had to rent a car, because we'd fly into a town and drive to some little place to play, and had to rent a car. And And I took geography in high school, so I could get around. And you know, it was just a, a it was a Bubbling group of hippies from California that were going out and playing. We played played Hartford. We opened for the Doors. We opened for Bobby Sherman there, too, in 67. We did 67 and 68. It was a crazy time. I mean, people didn't know what was happening, including the people that were playing. I mean, you know that a lot of them didn't know because, well... Mm -hmm. They're dead now. <laughs> Some of them. They didn't know that stuff that was illegal wasn't good for them. Oh, oh, Dropping all over the world. People were dying, all the boys and girls. Things were going wrong in almost every way. I said, Now, how could these things be? his way back in story Or oh, somebody killed a leader, they blew him right away didn't seem to like those those words he'd say catastrophes were happening almost every day now i said now how could this be it was way back in history Playing good time music, we were playing some bluegrass uh, less than I had been in a group before the dirt band for about a year, a bluegrass group. but it was a young bluegrass group. We were stumbling along. I mean, it was nascent as the reviewers like to say, the nascent group, and uh, I don't even think it was up to that level yet, but lesson I brought the bluegrass influence into the band which led to a couple songs being on the uncle Charlie album. That's our fifth album, uncle Charlie and his dog Teddy, where we ended up getting a new member, Jimmy Ibbotson, who was a powerful guy. He played piano, guitar, bass, and wrote songs. And, and, uh, he had, he had Mr. Bojangles in the trunk of his car. But So, um,
0: so what was it like touring with your brother?
1: I owe it all to uh, a good mother. My mom was very supportive and a good brother. My brother taught me how to play guitar, yeah. just like that, basic guitar, Jimmy Reed stuff. And uh, and six months after him showing me things, I saw a group called the Dillard. They, they were the Darlin' family in the Andy Griffith Show, and they played Bluegrass on fire, I'll tell you. They were playing out in Southern California. In a club like I'm playing at West Sherman, <laughs> less than yeah. and a couple guys. Well, uh, the one guy is a great guitar player and mandolin player, and uh, you'll meet him. He's part of the Circle Band, I call it. John McEwen, and, and that's that's a group with less than me, but other people can come and go. And uh, anyway, well, you and also we, play mandolin too, right? I'll be bringing my mandolin, fiddle, banjo, and guitar, and I'll try and get something out of each one of them. That's what happened when I did that Leon Russell recording. The song yeah, came about because I was in Nashville and I heard somebody going at midnight. I'm walking back from Kinko's, sending some press mm-hmm. stuff somewhere, and hey, John, John McEwen. And I thought, oh, somebody wants an autograph or something. Mm-hmm. But no, it was Teddy Jack. It was Leon Russell's son. Mm-hmm. And he says, My Dad and I just got off the road. Come on out to the house. Teddy It's midnight. Well, you know he doesn't go to bed till 5 o'clock or so. And I said, okay, let's go. And I'm out at their house and I start playing the guitar. I start playing the guitar and Leon goes, I didn't know you played like that. Well, that's what I do when I'm not playing the banjo. And anyway, I played the guitar, mandolin, and bass and he played piano and I got a duet recording with Leon Russell. It was a song that kind of came to mind that night Only spent two hours two and a half hours doing it
0: is that how a lot of your songs have come about what's your songwriting process like
1: it depends one time i had a song that i needed i needed one more song for an album and i took a bunch of numbers and i scrambled them up and threw them on the table and i went picked them out i went okay there's my chord chart and i took the chord chart and i started playing along with it and i recorded that the next day with the band that i had to make this album and it's one of the most liked songs that i do on stage you know
0: i appreciate what you were saying about your early childhood in your memoir the life i've picked um you. you know you talk about as a child, not feeling like you fit in, you know, and not being (laughs) fit for sports. And then until in high school, you got into ping pong, you got into badminton, and then you got into hopping the Disneyland fence. And then you had this discovery at Disneyland. Could you want to talk a little bit about that? Because then we can talk about it. Disneyland
1: was a great escape. It was, everybody was in Anaheim. And I didn't have enough money to pay to get in every day. So I'd climb over the fence at 14, 15 years old, and I made it over uh, 13 times till I got caught, and I climb over the fence, I go get my hand stamped, you know, and I transfer, I tell somebody, hey, you want to get in free, or for a dollar, and I would have them wait for me, I says, I'll be back in 15 minutes, and I go get my hand stamped, climb over the fence, come over and meet them, and transfer the stamp to their hand, and they would go in, and I, I could make, three your four dollars that way, so I'd have lunch. But um, the magic shop was what attracted me, and I started doing magic tricks. And Steve Martin and I were hanging out the same time at the magic shop, and both trying to get a job. And we got a job at the magic shop the same day. I was sixteen years old, and celebrated by having lunch in Tomorrowland, tuna sandwich. And uh, anyway, it was uh, a good three years. And I got exposed to a lot of music by working there. And that was the time period when somebody said, hey, let's go see the Dillards. I said, what are they? What do they do? And I found out. I I went from being a dork to a a geek. And then I started playing the banjo. So, you know, it kind of went downhill. And uh, then I got out of high school and I, I played probably eight hours a day in those first couple of years of college.
0: You talked about how you kind of have to just act like you belong somewhere.
1: That yeah, was like, you're in the back lot and a security guard's looking at you and you're going, Hey, how do I get out of here? I went through a door over there and I don't know where I am. <laughs> you know, that's where I learned that before they said, let the force be with you. I was letting the force be with me, but, uh, I used that later on at concerts. I never used a stage pass. I'd always walk up to the back door and say, "I got to get to the backstage." Mm-hmm. Oh, right this way. Well, sometimes it helped I was carrying an instrument, but I yeah. I'd go I go in the front, and and the people would say, "How do we know you're in the band?" And people standing in line with, "He's in the group. Let him in." You know, it was fun to do.
0: Awesome. So. The force that was with you, did you use this power to sort of magnetize and attract? I mean, obviously, your skill, your technique and your talent was another part of that formula. But did you, you know, do you feel like you use that force throughout your life?
1: I didn't feel like I was using a force, but maybe I had been subconsciously. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I work hard at finding the notes that I find, finding songs and uh, to put the notes in and stuff. And I just like to try and fit in with doing something that makes people forget where they are. That magic moment in a room when you're working in a room. And I got this from the magic shop, doing magic tricks all day long, selling them. Every 20, 30 minutes, you'd have a new crowd. And you could you knew that when you were doing stuff, that five minutes into it, they didn't remember they were in Disneyland. They were in, enthralled in what you were doing. I like it when I'm on stage and there's a point where people don't care where they are. They're just glad they're there. And I try to take them on a, on a little trip. And make him not want to leave <laughs>
0: We're speaking with Grammy-winning musician and producer John McEwan of Nitty Gritty Dirt Band fame. will be with his Circle Band at The Music Room in West Yarmouth, March 19th. So you can find tickets at musicroomcapecod.com. His latest book is Will the Circle Be Unbroken? And his memoir is entitled The Life I've Picked. In your book, you talked about having an inferiority complex. Was this part of your drive? Did you have a drive for perfection?
1: I still work at it. I I am nowhere near perfect, but I would say a perfectionist is what I... I try and do it as good as I can. This is the only time I may play in West Yarmouth. I mm-hmm. want to be good yeah. to where people will go see me somewhere else, Hartford and stuff. But I got to be good. I played up in Portland, Maine, and, and, you know, all over. I played all the states, but I've never been to West Yarmouth, so I want to see what it's like. Besides, mm-hmm. Cape Cod, my God, this is like going to Aspen for the first time.
0: I'm curious about how the, how the making of the Steve Martin album was.
1: Well, I moved to New York City for five years, and mainly to get some new things done. I'd exhausted or I'd, L.A. I was done with L.A. I lived in Colorado, Utah. I was back in L.A. and my wife wanted to move to New York, and I did too and oh maybe two years into living there steve calls me up my apart- at my apartment and says hey are you busy i said well what's up he goes can you come over here he was living upper west side i was upper east side he had a bunch of songs on his computer he wanted to play for me just a banjo that he would recorded straight into his computer and he'd play it through the song play it through once and end it, and I said, those are really good. He had six tunes. And he talked about a couple others that he, I knew he'd written that I, I knew of. So he had eight tunes. And I said, Steve, you don't need to add a couple bluegrass, old bluegrass tunes. You write a couple more. And he did. And I told him I should produce his album. I, I, I took his tracks, his five tracks, and I took them home and put them in my Pro Tools. And overdub to them, and guitar and bass and and and, uh, and well mandolin, and a couple of things, and arrange them. They didn't have any chords, you know. It just kind of a banjo can sound like it's just the same thing over and over. <laughs> you put chords to it, it's totally different. Anyway, he called me up and said, "That's great! I didn't know my music could sound this good." And, and I said, "See, I should produce it." And, because I knew there's some things in Steve Martin. I'd known him a long time. I knew he loved the Music Man. I loved Aaron Copeland, Appalachian Spring. He liked Flatten & Scruggs, Old Bluegrass, the 1949 album, um, the original sound. And um, and he works at Disneyland. <laughs> and I did too. And I put all those things together and Steve, I understand you. And my brother had managed him for 20 years, and that was a hurdle to get over, kind of, you know, because we'd known each other a long time. But he got over it, and it was really neat. I got Earl Scruggs and Mary Black and Vince Gill and Dolly Parton to be part of the album, and that was fun. That is very cool. Vince was easy. Steve goes, Well, how do you know you can get Vince Gill? I said, Steve, I've known Vince since he was 17. And he's not 17 anymore, but just a minute, when they call. Hey Vince, I'm doing an album with Steve Martin. Would you want to sing one of his songs he wrote? Okay. I'll call you later. Bye. He said yes. <laughs> and Steve. was kind of surprised by that
0: do you have one or maybe two standout memories performances
1: one of my favorite memories was in russia we were america's first band first american band to go to the soviet union we did 28 shows they all sold out an average of two to four thousand people five thousand at one venue and arena was one of the tour managers or you know a road manager type of person she was a party member the main road manager wasn't that was marina she was cool she was good and they had to hire her because she was good and uh but she would say well you know arena is party member she as you know she's party member and arena i think they hired the dirt band because of the other groups they saw, we were the safest. We were the calmest. That's because we knew we were there, we were there. But we did so well, we were not safe or calm when we got to Russia and people were on their feet. It was illegal to stand up in Russia at a concert, at a major event, illegal. And people were standing up and they couldn't control them. And it was really weird. This one concert, we're we're on stage playing away, and everybody in the audience is looking this way. And we, what are they looking at? There's a guy standing up and boogie and dancing and stuff. And they're looking at him, and he's made to sit down. Then their heads go this way. There's somebody over there, and by the end of the concert, everybody was on their feet. Well, this was down in southern Soviet Union, Armenia, and Georgia. And Arena, The third weekend said, when we get to Leningrad, it will be more respectful audience. They will will clap and you might get an encore, but maybe one encore. The first show, we're coming off stage after the third encore. One guy was out there, we're doing Chuck Berry songs, we're doing all kinds of American music because nobody had seen an American group. They wanted to know everything they could. We're coming off stage there's already been a guy ran up on stage on the stage and was playing air guitar next to jeff then he got escorted off then a girl comes up on the next encore and kisses one of the guys and then runs away and now people were up at the front edge of the stage like an mtv thing you know and arena i'll never forget walking by her she had a bun yeah blonde hair a red outfit and she's going. In Leningrad, I never thought. In Leningrad, look at that. You know, I said, "Yeah, Arena, it's American music. It sets people free." In Leningrad, oh, we did another encore. We ended up doing three and four the rest of the shows there. Anyway, it was really fun.
0: Thank you, Joe McEwen.
1: Thank you. Like I said to my mom, thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out Show.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. Our theme music is provided by Mason. You can find her at MasonMusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N.